0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this special point one episode of Discovery Debrief. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and this is just a short addendum to our recently released discussion concerning the timeless Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Tapestry, Rachel's choice for her all-time favorite Star Trek episode in any series in the franchise. As I alluded to, and as we briefly discussed in the primary episode there was a discussion that I had with a very good podcasting friend of mine a few years ago that dealt with two very different perspectives on tapestry itself. In 2014, my longtime podcasting cohort, Brad Lang, who resides in Australia, was developing a podcast with me that was to be called The Fifth 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 Dimension. 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 (laughs) In it, we were going to get together on a semi-regular basis to discuss the thoughts and ideas both through the lens of our own perceptions and the authorial intent of the various work's creators, at play in some of our favorite stories. Unfortunately, we only ever recorded a pilot episode, but in that pilot, we discussed two works of fiction that we both felt helped to open our minds to the wider possibilities in the communication of profundity that only fiction can bring. Brad's Choice was the excellent novelization of the late 1990s DC Comics story arc, Batman No Man's Land, written by one of the Dark Knight's best comics writers, Greg Rucca. Mine, however, in this discussion, was Tapestry. I think it's a discussion very worthy of sharing with those of you out there who appreciate the kinds of conversations we have on Discovery Debrief, while also showing two very different perspectives on a celebrated Star Trek episode. One of them, mine, sings its praises, while the other, Brad's, Provides a counter argument that may be a unique one for Trek fans to hear. We're so accustomed to celebrating tapestry, but there may be a reasonable perspective that may see something a little alarming about the message the episode communicates. That, of course, is for you to decide. So please enjoy this point one addendum to our regular panel's discussion and wind the clocks back to late 2014 to hear Brad and I duke it out over Tapestry. On one side, an embedded American Star Trek fan. On the other, an Australian clinical psychologist and intellectual heavy hitter with only cursory knowledge of Trek overall. Quite a pairing. I hope you enjoy it. So
1: the what we're going to be talking about today is um, the what, what what phrase did you coin? It's the origins of our geekery. Yeah, pretty so, much. So uh, so basically, what we're going to be talking about is we've got um, two topics that we're going to be approaching today. Um, with the overarching theme to to get into this to let you know a little bit about ourselves at the same time is we me and Chris have both picked one. Um, one thing from pop culture, from the geek realm, that has that we look back upon as being like almost like a turning point. the, t- the point when either it triggered our love of certain genres, or when it um, it was revealed to us that okay, it wasn't just the surface level. It wasn't just the fun, the biff, bam, pow, the good guys versus bad guys element of the, of these pieces of pop culture. That there was something more underneath. Um, and, uh, so we've both picked, um, a piece, um, Chris has picked the Star Trek, the next generation episode from season six called tapestry. We'll start off with the, uh, the Star Trek one, shall we?
2: Well, if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been a pretty big science fiction fanatic for basically as long as I can remember. Um, I was born in, uh, late 1987 uh, which was actually the first year that Star Trek: The Next Generation was on the air, and uh, you know, I, I, my, my brother was a big fan of the show, and he had watched it in its original run. I didn't really come to it until later because I, you know, I don't, I don't think I was fully able to appreciate it until I was just a little bit old, and by just a little bit older, I mean maybe a year after it stopped. So probably 1995, 1996. I'm seven, eight years old, and I, I I, catch a rerun of this episode, Tapestry. And if you haven't seen um, Tapestry, then it features probably one of the absolute best antagonists of the entire series of Star Trek The Next Generation, John Delancey's Q. Uh, Q actually showed up in the pilot episode of the show and had plagued the crew of the Enterprise Intermittently over all seven seasons, including the final episode. Um, so, I had always really enjoyed Star Trek, particularly the original series as a kid. It was probably just because it was so colorful that I got into it in the first place. And um, But I remember watching Tapestry on a rerun. It was um, after I had recently moved to a whole other part of the country. And something in me just unlocked watching this episode. And, and you know, that's, that's the overall topic. Something in me clicked watching Tapestry, and I started to learn and understand things, not just about that episode, but really about thematic fiction in general. Is that, I mean, Tapestry is one of the absolute best episodes of the entire seven season run of Star Trek The Next Generation. And that's because, you know, from a thematic level, it's pretty easy to get into it's relatively entry-level especially considering some of the other episodes that would come along later that are a bit more abstract but tapestry spoke to me at the time you know as a as a seven or eight year old kid you know it, it it really gets the point across that you need to do something in your life you need to make a splash in order to actually really fully succeed you can coast as long as you want But by the time you get to the end of the rope, you may regret not doing a certain action, not taking a certain risk. And, you know, these are kind of heavy things for a child to be learning. You know, I I never quite looked at mortality the same way uh, again after I watched Tapestry because the, the episode really does help present life, a person's life, your life, my life, everyone's life. As a finite moment in time, so with that, the with the time that we have, Mm -hmm. how do we strive to make something of ourselves beyond just existing? And you know, there there are a lot of other great works in literature and film and in television that that take. This isn't a new theme, but this Mm -hmm. episode made it new to me. And um, you know, how how we employ risk. The nobility and peace of dying with the assurance of a life well-lived. And, uh, you know, of course, it's hard to talk to people that have died and ask them, well, do you think you lived a good life? Not really possible. But there's something about tapestry itself. Not just the fact that it's a fun TV episode to watch, but the fact that it presents life as something to be treasured. There are so many moments where we can take things for granted, where we can look... At moments and just think, well, you know, tomorrow's going to come along and we can try and make something better of it. And that's going to be true every day until it's not. And, uh, and I credit Tapestry with kind of opening that up in my child brain and uh, really shaping how I viewed mortality, but beyond that, also shaping how I view fiction. As a gateway to understanding a greater set of ideas, and uh, you know that's something that this show will strive to to glorify and and to um, to subsist on, as far as conversation is concerned. There are so many possibilities that we can talk to or talk about when it comes to those ideas. And well, uh, b- because this is the, for me.
1: yeah. I mean, because this is the first episode. Why don't you um, just give us a a brief rundown of what the episode was because we haven't had the opportunity to give people the the, the heads up this time, like we All would right. for, for future. Sure, yeah. So it, it, for but, for, yeah. for for the briefly, you know, yeah, I, of I, course, I, I yeah, yeah.
2: For the three of you that have not seen Tapestry, and if you have, well, you well this was see. the first time for me seeing yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> in, in
1: li- leading up for this, so I'm, I'm no, the, the, the two others out there, just or, or we, we used to be four. <laughs>
2: But, um, so, of course, Star Trek The Next Generation stars Patrick Stewart as Captain Picard, Captain of the Enterprise, and, um, he's mortally injured on an away mission. And they, they take him to sick bay on the ship, which is basically like a hospital, for those of you that really don't know anything about Star Trek. Um, The word
1: sick in sick bay kind of gave that away.
2: Yeah. Well, just, just in case, <laughs> just in case. Um, and so the doctor is frantically working on him, and it's revealed through this episode that Picard has an artificial heart because of some accident that occurred at some point in his youth. That was I, I'm pretty sure that that was a, a revelation that came in Tapestry, is that his artificial heart is failing. And wait, what? He has an artificial heart? And while he is being worked on in sickbay, he is standing in a brilliant white light and sees a being in the distance, extending a hand to him, and it looks like he's basically going to heaven. And Picard takes his hand, and who's, who does the hand belong to? It's Q. Welcome to the afterlife, Sean Luke. You're dead. And from there, Picard is basically confronted with a, uh, with a decision that he made in his youth that we find out later is a building block for the successful career he enjoyed. So if he chooses to... Q basically gives him the opportunity to change that decision. And what happens when he changes that decision? It unwinds the tapestry of his life. And the life that he will have lived is something that is far from acceptable in Picard's eyes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and Um, I've just remembered what it was I was going to say before, um, because it, it relates to uh, what you're talking about here, is that uh, one of the things we're going to be doing on this show is um, spoilers. That, you know, in order to discuss these topics at the level that we want to discuss them, then it's like a no-holt-barred. Um, Spoilers are off So therefore we're probably not going to be talking about things That are overly recent like new releases and what have you Um, We're not necessarily going to be Reviewing shows and movies And books um, Although I'm sure elements of that will come through Um, We're not necessarily going to be Recommending things and not recommending things Although I'm sure that will come through as well Um, So With this episode of Tapestry I think it's worthwhile that to you know, go into specifics, um, because you know, like I briefly mentioned before, this was my first time uh, watching this episode, and I cannot remember the last time I watched an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation um, prior to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm not a Trekkie, Trekker, whatever is the politically correct way of referring to you people um nobody's days, perfect <laughs> um i assume it's um not referring to you as you people is probably a good first step um <laughs> might not be but, pc <laughs> yeah. um but you know so yeah he it's not a um unknown story trope um to that that's used here that um someone gets to a point in their life and they're confronted with or they're, they're given a, de- a decision to change an e- um, element of their past and what that impacts on the future I mean I've seen um, you know, episodes of what Simpsons and Family Guy that have done uh, <laughs> the same sort of thing um, so he goes back and the thing that stands out with this episode is that um, while the, the iconic imagery of Jean-Luc Picard is one of uh, You know, civility. Of he's very stoic. He's quite um, civilized, well thought out, and uh, you know, very mannered Englishman. Um, (laughs) But that when when we go back into his past, we see that he in his youth, in his adolescence, when he was first starting out in the the Starfleet, he was quite arrogant and cocksure, and he was a ladies' man, and he would rig a game of this weird playing pool. But it's not pulled because there's
2: flashing light bouncing. Dom Jot.
1: Dom Jot, of course, because it's space and the
2: future. Um, and in the beginning of the episode, when he's talking to Q, he describes himself as, I was more like you, which I think gets it kind of across. So Q is also very arrogant.
1: Mm. And, you know, that through his arrogance, through his, um, you know, being a teenager, basically, he gets into a fight with these massive aliens and one of the aliens stabs him through the heart. And so he goes back and... And so he. the idea is that the man he is that we know him to be is very different from the person that he used to be and that he makes changes in the past to make his past self more like his mature, civilised, gentleman self. Um, and, you know, then we end up with a alternate 1985 where (laughs) you know he's not the captain he's um you know i forget the the exact title but he's basically it was an
2: assistant astrophysicist and he was a lieutenant junior grade which is almost as low as you can go so he goes from Mm. being a captain to being Mm -hmm. a lieutenant junior grade
1: yeah, so he's like we see he's like running errands for the, the 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 blind black guy that's not Scotty but is sort of Scotty. What's Jordy. his name? Jordy. Jordy. There we
2: go. You need to watch Relics where they actually meet.
1: Oh really? Yeah. There you go. Maybe. Um, yeah. So the the ideas and themes that you're that you're talking about there that there's the, um you know the the life well spent. <laughs> what that was clearly their intention that was the message that they were trying to get across um that they wanted to say with this episode is is that how it rung with you as well
2: it's it's basically i mean i had never really thought before in a fashion where you know all of my actions in youth would have Mm -hmm. consequences on things that i would do in the future so you know when when it comes when the episode starts winding down and Q starts to really explain um, what the whole point of it was, almost like a Christmas story in a way. You mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Q, Q is recounting to him how that life had changed, how it, in every major way it was different than the life that he had known. As mm-hmm. as a command officer, as captain of the Enterprise, he, you know, he he chose not to get in the fight with the Nosakan. Something that mm-hmm. seems, in in hindsight, very trivial. But as he goes on, he never had a brush with death. He wouldn't take mm-hmm. a risk. He wouldn't stand up and be a leader when a leader was needed, just to basically paraphrase. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it, it, all of these things accumulated and made him the man that we all know him to be. So the, the idea as it was designed was mm-hmm. new enough in its presentation to me that mm-hmm. yes, it yes. was you know because yeah you know it I'm, was the I'm... first
1: time you would come across this idea and exactly. and, uh, and the the execution but you know well as an adult looking back you you sort of say that well it's sort of been
2: done before yeah yeah, yeah. and in mm-hmm. in hindsight i understand mm-hmm. that but when i'm 7 or 8 years old yeah that's <laughs> it, it's it, it was a very good way to mm-hmm. to be introduced to ideas like this yeah and um you, but, course, but what
1: what about what about now as an adult looking back? Do you still find that those themes are what resonate with you and what you see stand out in that episode?
2: Maybe, but that might be because of my own biases, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. When I, when I look back on it now, too, I mean, in addition to uh, just the the tightness of of the actual uh, teleplay, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. There is, um, I I think I appreciate the structural elements of it a little bit more. I I appreciate the performances in the episode now. um, Mm -hmm. Because that's really, I I think that's good. um, It's good material to play with for an actor of Stewart's caliber. Um, And as someone who I, I believe has played Ebenezer Scrooge in the past, Right. Oh,
1: I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's a he's an elderly englishman uh, <laughs> i think i think they all have at some stage but yes
2: but i mean you know if if you wanted to really analyze it to try and go beyond the intended meaning mm. there there might not be that much there and i and i mm. and i understand i mean there's there's some the, stuff the... no go ahead well i was just gonna say like the thing that stood out to me
1: that um made me because you know i'm approaching this for the first time without any emotional connection to these characters, without much knowledge of them beyond their superficial, um, I guess, iconic um, status that is sort of permeated beyond the show itself. Um, Mm. So what stood out to me was that this show or maybe this episode or maybe a reflection of these characters were really advocating for arrogance and personal self-interest. Mm-hmm. You know, that it it was very much a about me thing that was going on for the character of Picard um, rather than in the interest of the group as a whole. Like, it was mm-hmm. very much an a individualist perspective. And I guess maybe this is um, because I'm... I'm an outsider, or maybe this is my own uh biases, but it's it came across as very much an American view of what a a life well lived is. You know that is the um the you know the American dream of that. You know you you will rise to the top, and it is about you achieving um, the 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 pinnacle, rather than say a more collectivist society, a more uh, socialist-inclined society, where it is about the benefit of the group as a whole. In that, you know, he goes back in the, to the past and makes decisions that are pretty hard to dispute. You know, it is not a good thing to cheat in a game. It is not a good thing to get into a fight. It is not a good thing to put yourself in a position where you are going to get stabbed through the heart, basically (laughs) killing yourself, you know? Like, those aren't good decisions. It is not a good decision to play um, one girl off another um, and not really care about the emotional impact on other people. You know, these aren't necessarily... Um, admirable qualities to promote but but in, in, you would
2: also mm-hmm. be looking at that through hindsight you know because when he made those decisions for the first time in his life he was doing mm-hmm. them in the moment and oh a- absolutely so,
1: and and you know and in its in its defense you know that's the perspective that Jean-Luc goes into that situation with that with you know, these aren't good, yeah that these aren't just good decisions I'm going to change them but then by the end of the episode it kind of the the message of the show is flipped back and saying actually no those were good decisions and you should be you know you know acting before you think and that that sort of thing. Well, and we
2: shouldn't we shouldn't apply a, a normative perspective of good and bad. Th- these were good decisions for him, you know.
1: Well, n- no, no. See, that's well. Or for him, because they, for, but, but for they,
2: other perspectives, they are not good decisions. But when it comes to the decisions that would lead him to become the man that he is supposed to be, I that's see, what now, made now, there them we positive.
1: Go. And see, there we go. And this is where the element of this story really stood out to me, is that when he comes back to the you know, Back to the future, to the alternate 1985. <laughs> so as you can tell, my um, my reference points for Time Traveller are fairly limited. Um, <laughs> but you know that he comes back and he is still on the Enterprise, he is still serving a a very valuable role in the functioning of the ship and the functioning of their missions. He is, you know, taking this piece of equipment from one part of the ship to another part of the ship, and it is obviously important because it's, you know, the, the request for him to perform it is coming out over the loudspeakers or whatever, saying, look, I need this piece, you know, like, somebody needs to perform that role. It is a necessary role in the functioning of the overall society. Mm-hmm. But he can't stand that. You know, that, that is not a life worth living for him. It's like for him, it's like, I'm either captain or I'm nothing. And it is the perspective, the functioning of the ship didn't seem to alter based on whether he was at the top of the hierarchy or the bottom of the hierarchy. And, you know, that was one of the conditions that you said at the start, that if you make changes, it won't be some massive butterfly effect for all of humanity. Right. It will be intentionally just on your life. So, mm. you know, um, there, there are questions of whether this was real-time travel and r- real reality or what have you. And I, I don't know if future episodes address this or if there's greater context in the mythology of Star Trek that answers some of these questions. But when we his life as being um, lower on the hierarchy in his job, in his occupation, was so unbearable that he basically kills himself. He puts himself in a position where he is going to get a blade through the heart so that his heart is going to have to be um recreated as a
2: artificial heart to and, to be um, succinct he says i would rather die as the man i was than live the life i just saw I that mean, that that's the kicker it's,
1: it's it's it just it's look it it, it isn't so, it isn't literally but it's it's just so arrogant it is so like it's about me if, which if it goes back to I'd... his
2: the way that he was as a young man look yeah. i i understand your your perspective but the it's really easy to take a viewpoint, especially in in a in a shared fictional universe like the Star Trek universe, that is populated by billions upon billions upon billions of life forms from multiple planets, multiple species, mm-hmm. in different parts of the galaxy Jean luc Picard, from a top down perspective on the Star Trek universe, is a very important figure, so I guess that would be relatively similar to saying. Um, you know the the life of Abraham Lincoln. You know, from a from a perspective of someone who had an impact on the society. All
1: right, good point. But then, what what this what what this show is that is then presenting, is, at least from from the character's point of view, is that, and this goes back to the comment on that I made on on arrogance, is that he's basically saying that, and nobody else could do that. It is me, or it is nothing. Oh I am so important that only I could have done this. You know. If Abraham Lincoln didn't um, do what he did to that resulting in the slaves being freed, um, from from captivity, somebody else might have. You know, the, to say that it is Lincoln and, and look that's not to, to diminish well, okay, what Lincoln that... did or the freeing of the slaves or anything, but no, to no, no, say no, no. that it is him or nothing is I think a massive overstatement.
2: Well, and 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 part of it too is that the Star Trek universe has always placed value on the preservation of history as it was originally unfolded. So, one of the things that he was afraid of that he was talking to Q about was a violation of what in Star Trek what's called the temporal prime directive. So, any Star Starfleet officers that have gone back in time in the past, um, when they have the opportunity to change events in any capacity, they are not supposed to do it. So Unless, that, it,
1: unless it involves wiles. Then we'll, go for it. well, that's yeah. going to kill everyone. <laughs>
2: that, that's a little bit... And he kind of broke it, too. That, but that's another conversation. <laughs> the overall point, I think, is that... You know, you're right. There is a degree of arrogance that he has. But, at the same time, if I'm forced to examine the events of my life, or if you were forced to examine the events of your life, and some foolhardy decision that we had made in our youth had led us to a job scrubbing the bottom of garbage cans instead of living relatively comfortable functional lives uh doing whatever it is we're doing now (laughs) we might want things to go back to the way that they were so it's more like picard had had the perspective of being the captain he was participating in really important events as the captain of the federation flagship because that's what the enterprise is it's the flagship of the entire federation and if he sees i i don't think he's trying to be diminutive to the role that he is fulfilling well, that?
1: No, no, it it most certainly is because that's the only aspect of his life that he has become aware of by that point. He only knows his life in the context of his occupation. Well, okay, he, but also like, like too, like he, he he might have had a, a wonderful wife that he was incredibly happy with, many kids, like a really fulfilling life. But this was just his job, you know. That, but yeah, it's it was just very much a well. That that's an inference though that
2: we can't really. We, we can't sure, but but what what I'm either. saying
1: is that if we are to to believe that what was presented in the show was the entirety of his experience, which we have no reason to believe otherwise, um, then you know he doesn't know either, which is what I'm saying that well, he but doesn't also know too, what uh, else uh, his his life was comprised
2: of. The him being in that position mm-hmm. is pretty pretty weird, just from a perspective of seeing what his rank was because he's by that point, he's almost a 60 year old man and he hasn't advanced in rank. He's had one advancement in rank, one minor advancement in rank since his enlist, uh, since his commission as an officer began. Mm-hmm. So he's already had a, gosh, I think it was like almost a 40 year career at that point, And he's just gotten a little bit further when by all accounts 40 years into his career he should probably be an admiral you know Mm -hmm. so the i think one of the things too was that seeing seeing an officer of his relatively advanced age is unnerving because people most people in the rank that he was in at that point were supposed to be maybe four or five years out of the academy and he was still stuck in low-end job on the flagship sure but he was in a low-end job with a very low rank because he had never accomplished anything by not taking the risks that he had in his previous life so and it's I, and, it's and, and an extreme trans- example
1: well yeah but but yeah i guess you know you know i've already said it and i don't i don't want to keep going around in circles but it just um no we got to go to it, yours
2: pretty soon yeah, yeah,
1: yeah um there was just a such a great devaluation of the role that he was fu- that he was um fulfilling that it, that the fact that he was playing uh, it, it may have been a small cog in the machine but it was a cog in the machine i doubt there are, that um the enterprise is filled with many redundant positions
2: well um, no it's or, not yeah. but also yeah. the cog that, that it, in in the actual enterprise that that picard is the captain of that cog <laughs> right. is probably fulfilled by a 22 year old okay you know. But but so. it is
1: still a necessary cog to oh, be fulfilled. Sure. His his dissatisfaction is from such an egocentric point of view, such a a, a me 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 um, perspective that it it was it was just quite jarring to see when the um, aim of the episode seemed to be that the 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 show seemed to aim to put me in a position where I was like oh my god how could you live with yourself what a terrible life to live how could you not take chances go for it but i was left thinking I like, what wait what what was wrong with that you know that that, that you know geordie needed that piece of equipment someone's got to get it to him you know like, like this this <laughs> ship he, needs to function he wanted uh, but,
2: more from his life he just well, wa- I, I i i i really I, I appreciate that perspective i really do and i totally understand where <laughs> yeah. you're coming from but I really don't think that the aim was necessarily there to devalue the position that he had as much as to see, wow, after taking that new course in his life, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He, he, he was in no position to actively advance anything that he was doing. Yes, he got to a great post on a great ship. That's about it, though. That's the sum of your life's accomplishments at that point.
1: Well, well, well the, now that that is an assumption, which is sort of what I was leaning up at before. But um, also, the thing now, taking into consideration, yes, that um, I I don't have you know the five and a half uh, seasons that came before this episode to rely on to inform my opinion that it is just what is presented in this episode. But it, you remember that the only um the only hint of his career as a captain that this episode provides is on his failures that at the beginning q um says you know do you hear those voices those are all the people that have died because of your decisions because of your actions and your inactions you know so it doesn't necessarily present um picard as this grand superheroic figure that um that the universe could not live without it and that presents perspective him, it presents sensitive as flawed and that so therefore whoever was the captain in alternate 1985 could <laughs> maybe have done a better job because well, there are all these people who and
2: don't. and see if you did have a little bit more contextual familiarization with q yeah. himself then you would probably because uh-huh. q is a trickster basically right he, he is the, the the grand trickster god of the star trek universe is and he the, a god
1: like, what, is he in that? He's like, basically, he? A,
2: he, he's he's an omnipotent being. Right, yeah, okay. He, cool. his, he comes from a race of omnipotent beings that have always existed as far as we can understand, as far as we can comprehend. So mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. snaps his fingers and he can do pretty much anything. And he's always right. been able to. And there have been some other episodes that explore, you know, what maybe the vulnerabilities of the Q are, maybe some of their history and, and things mm-hmm. like that. But... At the at the heart of it, regardless of what his abilities are, Q is basically Star Trek's Loki. That's the the most Mm -hmm. fundamental perspective that I can give it. So, Q, you can tell that Q wanted to wanted to lead him to the ultimate realization that he was at. Of course, and and that
1: that comes across in the episode as well. Yeah, of course, absolutely. So, um, you know, he he wanted
2: he wanted to actively lead him to the point that he that he got to, Mm -hmm. but you know, Q will always try and dangle your decisions in front of you. And, I mean, any any commander, anyone in a command situation would likely have to make a decision, as aberrant as it might be, of who lives and who dies, which Picard has had to do in his in, in previous assignments in his career. So by dangling those in front of him, he basically just got Picard to play along without him knowing it. And I think that was the overall... Aim of it. No, no commander in a military situation is going to be is going to have their hands be completely clean, and I think that was the the overall point of that. But re- regardless sure. of all of, of of all of these things, at the end of the day, I think that the the most potent theme out of the episode is the one that it primarily presented, and that's that y- whether you agree with his own decisions or not. Mm-hmm you have to be able to uh to make decisive action in your own life if you want to succeed and i think that applies to pretty much anything
1: the message that they're trying to get across is is fine when you um in viewing it from that perspective in that all the pieces that they in order to come to the conclusion they want you to c- come to, the pieces that they lay out in front of you lead, lead you in that direction. Um, but it, I guess sort of where I was coming from is that those pieces can be looked at from a different side of things, which give the overall a different flavour, um, not necessarily reducing or diminishing the conclusion that they come to, um, but that it, I guess it's, a, it's more of an ethical um, slant to it. Uh, mm-hmm. that you know, the the positive outcome is for the individual um, and the individual's self-interest rather than anything else. And you know, everything else seemed to be you know, just fine. Um, he just didn't like that he was being told what to do. And that doesn't necessarily result in a, a grand heroic figure um, in, in my eyes.
2: Well, we'll throw we that to uh, to the listeners as well. If um, yes. if if you agree with either my viewpoint or with Brad's viewpoint about the overall point of, of the episode tapestry, then feel free to leave a comment oh. uh, or an email through Geek Nation and it will find its way to us and we will uh, we'll see if what you, you, have you a think.
1: Di- yeah, or if you have a different point of view, um, you know, we're by no means the the exhaustive authority on, on this sort of thing. so Far um, from it. Far <laughs> so from let, it. Let us know. Let us know.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed this rather different kind of discussion about tapestry. As much as I may disagree with Brad's general position about the episode, the fact that he remains both a formidable debater and a voice that I truly value kind of demanded that I share this conversation with the small but passionate community of Debrief listeners. Brad's not really doing a lot of podcasting anymore, unfortunately, but any chance I can have to amplify his voice is definitely something I relish. He's a good friend, a great podcaster, and most definitely one of the most valued connections I've made as a genre fiction fan. I hope that you found as much value in listening to that discussion as I still find in having actually had it. Anyways, that's going to do it for this brief addendum to episode 25 of Discovery Debrief. As you may have noticed if you listened to episode 25 upon its release, there was a pretty big delay between its recording and when it actually came out. One of the major things that's transpired since we all sat down to record that one is an actual look at footage of Discovery Season 2, along with a boatload of franchise-related news that came out of the San Diego Comic-Con. The biggest Trek convention of the year is also happening right now in Las Vegas, so an abbreviated panel will be getting together very soon to discuss the latest Discovery news and that mind-blowing Season 2 trailer, before we reconvene to talk Zaki's favorite episode in all of Star Trek, The Visitor from Deep Space Nine. So, we'll plan on talking to you again very soon, but until then, please, go boldly, my friends. (laughs)